Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from the Horsham Church of Christ. For more information, please visit our website at www.horsham.org.au. Two friends become stranded on an island as they become shipwrecked after they've been sailing for the day. A storm rises and their boat gets wrecked and they're stranded on an island. Pretty quickly it becomes evident what's happening between the two men, the two friends, as they uh, one is anxiously pacing up and down the beach and the other one is lying on the beach calm, enjoying the rays of the sun. No worries at all. This actually increases the anxiety of the first person. How can you be lying there so calm? What's wrong with you? Are you aren't you afraid that we're going to die? The first person says to his friend. The friend lying on the beach says, it's okay. It's all good. I earn $100,000 a week. How's that money going to save? That's no good out here. We've got no communication. What's your $100,000 a week going to do for you? Oh, no, no, you don't understand. I earn $100,000 a week and I'm a Christian. Oh, so what? Where's your God now? We're shipwrecked on this island. What a waste of time. What a waste of money. And you, How can you be laying there so quietly and calmly, says the first friend. Oh, sorry, maybe I didn't make myself very clear. I earn $100,000 a week. I'm a Christian and I tithe faithfully every week to my church. My pastor will come and find me. Now, some of you might be thinking as we talk about the tithe or maybe you've heard the word tithe and you already switch it off. Stay with us, please. Um, as badly as I might have told that joke, I hope it's given you a bit of a laugh at least as we step into the fourth message in our series, God, Money and Me, Creating a pathway to financial freedom. This uh, message is entitled Money's Test and this is where we get a bit practical because essentially what we want to do is remember that God is inviting us into a relationship but what we want to ask in this message today is what does this relationship between God, money and me look like as it seeks to express um, the kingdom of God here on earth. Before we go any further, we'd love to offer you another cap money tip from one of our money coaches. The money management tip we talk about today is cutting out or cutting back. In other tips we've shared about cutting costs, but we're talking about the discretionary area of your expenditure. You've got to have a serious hard look at them, and if you've got to make some serious decisions about cutting your whole overall expenditure, we suggest that you look at along these two lines. Now the first one is cutting out and cutting out means deciding what's in your priorities and what isn't and if it isn't in your priority and it's an expenditure item, why is it there? And these things make a really big difference to your overall expenditure. You can cut some serious amounts of money out of your uh, overall household budget and bring that back into line. It's just a matter of deciding what's important and what's not and having a serious think about it. The other tip is cutting back. These are the things that you really still like to do, but you've probably worked out that they're a bit extravagant or just a bit of a luxury. We're not here to kill all your fun, only most of it, but we just suggest that you just limit yourself and that maybe if, let's say, if you like going eating out, Perhaps don't go and eat out three times a week, just go and eat out once or maybe only once a month or something like that and make it special and make it count. We just ask you to just think about your expenditure items in both 
of either of those ways. And if it's not important to you, just chop it out and just get rid of it. Have a discussion in your household, see what your priorities are. It's all about being in control of your money. It's all about choosing to spend your money where your priorities lie and where your values lie. And if that doesn't correspond with that, why is it in your budget? Thanks, Glenn. And again, to Marie and to Lockie for your input into this series. We've really appreciated uh, the thoughts and the snapshots of um, how we can improve uh, our financial freedom and create a pathway to financial freedom. Of course, that's general in nature. And if you're interested in participating in our CAP money course in the future, we'd love you to register by sending an email to cap at horsham.org.au and we'll let you know when the next course uh, is coming about. I'd like to just pause after the terrible telling of the joke and just before we get into the message, uh, you might like to have your Bible uh, app open or your scriptures open or have pen and paper where you can write down the scriptures so you can go back and refer to them later because we'll be shooting through a couple fairly quickly. But before we do that, I'd love to pray with you. Father, we want to thank you for this time. We want to thank you for the opportunity just to set aside, to be with you, to be with one another. Knowing that we're distant and disconnected, you still call us family. And we celebrate that, Father. We recognise people in isolation. We recognise people disconnected from family. We recognise the heaviness and the overwhelming nature of this time. And yet we recognise that in you is our rest, is our hope, is our peace. You are our salvation. And as we go into this um, message today, Father, we pray that you would give us open hearts to hear what you want to say to us, that the words that I speak would be the words of your spirit and anything not from you, Father, would simply fall away. But we would receive from you what you want us to hear today. In the name of Jesus, we honour you, we thank you and we look forward to your revelation. Amen. I remember being taught to tithe from a young age. Uh, I remember my first pocket money at home being, I think, about $2. That's what I remember. I don't know if that's right. Uh, It's just I've got this memory of getting a $2 note uh, back in the good old days and and learning to tithe. So a tithe when I was growing up and receiving pocket money um, was 20 cents. So when I earned uh, $20 a week, which was, whew, that was uh, amazing, earned $20 a week delivering newspapers and prescriptions, riding around Ballarat, uh, rain, hail or shine, quite literally, uh, $20 a week, I'd tie that. So that my tithe became $2 a week. And then uh, when I became a first-year motor mechanic, yes, I used to be a motor mechanic, for those who don't believe me, I think I can still find the, te- uh, the certificates that prove it. But never mind, I earned, I think, about $120 to $130 a week as a first-year apprentice. Uh, just, and I learned to tie that and even just a little bit more sometimes just to put a new spirit in me and just to remind myself that it's not about obligation. But I do remember, and as I was reflecting on this message this week, thinking that this was about being a part of something much bigger than myself. I was contributing to something outside myself. Uh, I was part of a family, a church, a community that was seeking to be a blessing. Uh, And I think that thought has matured and grown and changed. And hopefully you hear a little bit about that today uh, as I reflect as my personal response and the response of uh, Andrea and myself. Now, as I said earlier, um, 
You might be thinking about switching this off. You've heard the word tithe. Please stay with us. Just wait. Remember, this is about your relationship with God, the heavenly loving Father. At the very least, we would all agree that our world is broken. Our world isn't functioning as we believe it could be, as we hoped it could be, as God created it to be. So at the very least, I guess I want to ask today, what will distinguish followers of Jesus uh, as people who are made holy? What will set followers of Jesus apart from the rest of the world, even in our finances? And if you're not a follower of Jesus here with us today, maybe I want to invite you to consider the principle and make the application in your personal finances. And even if it's personally to start with, learn what it looks like to set aside a tithe and to trust God. Now, that's a pretty bold invitation to start with, and I appreciate that. Uh, but I hope that as we go through, you gain a deeper understanding of what that looks like. And I need to finish my story, a personal reflection. The complete disclosure is that there were times where I found it really hard to tithe, even when I was tithing 20 cents. I, you know, there were decisions that I made if I wanted to buy an extra packet of lollies or if I thought I didn't want to give a tithe that week. Complete disclosure says it was really hard and there were times where I even removed that tithe and took it back to myself. So this is a quite a difficult conversation and a difficult response and one that takes a little time to learn. Theologian and author A.W. Tozer says this, he does, God does not need a dime of your money. It is your own spiritual welfare at stake in such matters as these. You have the right to keep what you have all to yourself, but it will rust and decay and it will ultimately ruin you. This is how powerful and significant it is. This is how challenging and confronting it is. So let's look at this. Let's explore the biblical concept and the invitation that comes out of that. And as I said earlier, you can follow through in your scriptures or the Version Bible app and look up the Horsham Church of Christ event, or you might just want to write down the texts so you can look at it personally, because I'm going to glance through them pretty quickly to give us a broad picture of how this has progressed, and then look at the impact that we can have. So way back in the beginning, Genesis, Genesis chapter 4, in fact, we're told that two brothers are born, Abel and Cain. Abel is one who keeps the flocks and Cain is one who looks after the soil. He grows the crops. In the course of time, we're told, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of the flock. And we're told here that God approves and is pleased with Abel's offering and not so much with Cain's offering. And God and Cain had this conversation where God says to Cain, be careful how you respond here because sin is crouching at the door of your heart and therefore at your life. And this is the big question here. What has our possessions? What is our finances? How has that had attached itself to us? If you know the rest of the story, we know that Cain, out of this decision, because of this decision, because of his heart, whatever has attached himself itself to his heart, he goes out and kills his brother. Now, this is before the law has been put in place. This is before any law. This is a natural response out of what God has done and said. There's another story later on in Genesis, Genesis chapter 14. It talks about Abram going out and saving his nephew Lot after he'd been carted off by another king. Uh, another king had invaded um, Sodom and they'd taken Lot and his family and Abram went after them 
And after they'd gone and conquered uh, that king and brought Lot and his family back, we're told that Melchizedek, the king of Salem or the king of Jerusalem, brought out bread and wine. He sees Abram coming. The king goes out to celebrate with Abram, bringing out bread and wine. How powerful and significant are those emblems as we think about pointing to Jesus? Uh, we're told that Melchizedek not only was a king, but he was a priest of God most high. And that's all we're told about this king. He blesses Abraham, we're told. And then Abram gives the king a tenth of everything that he had gone out and brought back. For no other reason that he was inspired to honour the king, the priest, before law. We're told in Leviticus chapter 27, God says to his people, bring a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees. This belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. Who would ever redeem any of their tithe must add a fifth of the value to it. So this is when the people of Israel have been brought out of slavery. They've wandered around in the wilderness and God is preparing them to go into the promised land. He begins to set about what it looks like to be in relationship with him. Now, picture this. These people have been in slavery their whole lives, generations, 400 years. They've come out of slavery where they have been told what to do when they could stand, when they could sit, when they could eat, when they could sleep, when they needed to work. Their whole life has been around the authority and the structure of Pharaoh, the king and the ruler of Egypt, the final authority of Egypt. And now they're free. So there needs to be some structure. So this isn't so much... Uh, I think we perhaps look unhealthily at this and we call it law and we have an unhealthy approach to law. But this is actually about God saying, this is what it looks like to be in relationship. And this will actually distinguish you from every other tribe, every other ruler, every other response to God where it's about sacrifice of children and sacrifice of uh, animals recklessly and thoughtlessly. This is the kind of relationship that I want to have with you. You. And so I put these things in place to strengthen, to um, um, nurture, to help the relationship with you. So it becomes a law, but it's also about, more significantly, God establishing relationship with people. And finally, uh, in Malachi, this text of the prophet um, and the prophet calls out to the people. The prophets are the people who have called out to the people of God and said, hey, you're missing the boat here, ladies and gentlemen. You've lost sight of what's important. You've lost sight of what God values. You've lost sight of what God has done. And I want to call you back to God. Otherwise, there's consequences for that. So this is the word of Malachi from the Lord. I, the Lord, do not change. And we're told that, in fact, you've just been reckless. I haven't changed, you've gone and been reckless, you've been thoughtless, you've moved away from my plans and purposes of you. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, says God, and I will return to you. Now hear that, the first thing that God desires is a return to him, a return to know him, a return to encounter him, a return to experience him. 
a return to relationship. Now, the obvious question that the people ask, but you ask as God reflects on the conversation, how are we to return? Surely we've done everything right. And God calls them out. Will a mere mortal rob God? And yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? (laughs) You can already tell this is dangerous kind of footing, can't you? In tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this. And God actually goes on to say, if you bring the food, the tithe into the storehouse, I will fill it to overflowing and I will pour out the blessings. Test me in this. Know me. Encounter me, return to me in relationship in this. People have lost sight of the relationship. And the first thing that God says, if you want to know what it looks like to return, let's look at our finances. Let's look at your crops. Let's look at everything that you have. Let's look at your flocks. Who do you belong to? Who do you belong to? And what has attached itself to your heart, your mind and your spirit? Return to me, says the Father. Now, you might be sitting around, if you've been around the church for a long time, if you've been a Christian for a long time, maybe some of you don't even read the Old Testament because, you know, the Old Testament's hard yakka sometimes. The Old Testament seems a bit gory, a bit bloodthirsty, a bit um, disconnected from our reality. Yeah, but it points to the one who is to come. And the more I read the Old Testament, the more beautiful it becomes in the fact that every word written, every story, every aspect points to the hope that is yet to come in Jesus. And we might say, we don't need to pay any attention to the Old Testament. And I've had conversations with people like this. We live under grace, not under law. What I've learned about people when we tend to say that we live under grace is that we're actually seeking permission to do whatever we want. And it actually removes any sense of accountability or responsibility to the body of Christ, to the family, to the community, to what God wants to do in us and amongst us. It actually disconnects and removes ourselves, I think, from God. If we cheapen grace by saying, oh, well, I live under grace, therefore I don't have to do this, this and this, we have missed the point. And indeed, we are missing the hope and the desire that God has to be in relationship with us. See, the bringing of the first, the bringing of the tithe, was a pointer to or a reminder of the one who was to come. So since you've raised the questions about the Old Testament, let's explore a couple of phrases out of the New Testament. What does it look like to live under grace? In Matthew chapter 22, verses 15 to 21, uh, the Pharisees, the Herodians, they come to Jesus, they're testing Jesus, and they start by saying, Jesus, we know that you're a man of integrity. You're a man who's not swayed by public opinion. So tell us, should we pay our taxes to Caesar or not? And Jesus says, hey, bring me, bring me a coin. And they bring to him a denarius. And he asked them, whose image is this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. And then he said to them, so give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. Now what we need to understand is that money, uh, as Jesus was walking on the earth, 
denoted ownership. It wasn't a public historical figure of significance. It wasn't simply an image that someone had decided to put on the money to recognise our history or our people or someone of significance. This denoted ownership. Caesar's face was on the coin. It was his money. Even if it was in your hand. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. Which, of course, is the ultimate question. What do we view as God's? In Matthew chapter 23, if you read this text, I mean, it's astonishing. Uh, A number of times, Jesus just goes hard at the religious leaders, at the church leaders of the time, the synagogue rulers and authorities. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy and faithfulness. You should have practiced the later, latter without neglecting the former. Now, we, again, we also need to understand the mint, the dill, the cumin, they were tithing minimal. They weren't even bringing the best. They were reducing this call to relationship to as much as what they felt they could get away with according to the law. Then Jesus calls them out and says, you're missing the boat. You can put your religious laws up in front of me as much as you like. But if you want to make it religious and about law and you ticking the box and you're not participating in the rest of the kingdom of God, your heart's not with me. You've missed the point. It's a pretty confronting kind of language. <clears throat> in Luke chapter 12, verses 23 to 31, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. This is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. You have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Hear that? Who will get what you have prepared for yourself? You have thought small. Much like the religious leaders, if you think small, your life will be small. You miss out on the abundance of relationship that God has in store for you. Remember that God... Jesus has come that we might have life in all of its abundance where the enemy only comes to steal and kill and destroy. This kind of thinking is thinking of the enemy. Self-indulgent. So as we enter into a new covenant with Christ through his life, his death and his resurrection, the tithe uh, becomes an expression of thanks, an expression of submission to his authority, the declaration that I choose to trust God. Essentially, the tithe is about who or what we give access to and who or what will have authority over our lives. Will we return to God? Will we acknowledge um, what is God's? And we might be sitting here today thinking, well, a tithe doesn't make that much difference. I want to consider the impact. I want to invite you to consider the impact 
of a global movement, as we're part of a global movement of the church. Um, Mike Holmes wrote for the relevant magazine 2013, and then the article was repeated in 2016, and he wrote an article called, What Would Happen If the Church Tithed? Now, it is related to the American churches, but I don't think it would be too far off in lots of ways and would have similar um, understandings for the Australian church as well. But here's the here's thinking that they've done their research. Uh, tithers make up only 10 to 25% of a normal congregation in the United States of America. 10 to 25%. Only 5% of the US churches tithe, with 80% only giving 2% of their income. Only 80% of those 5% give 2% of their income. And Christians today are giving it 2.5%, whereas during the Great Depression they were giving it 3.3%. Would it be true that the more we have, the less generous we become? It's a confronting question as I think about that. Because the more we have, as we've said over the last few weeks, the more we have, the more protective we become about wanting to ensure that we have that and can enjoy it for ourselves. Mike Holmes goes on in his article and he says, if believers were to increase their giving to a minimum of, let's say, for example, a biblical concept, 10%, there would be an additional $165 billion for churches to use and distribute. The global impact would be phenomenal. Now, even as I rethink about that, I'm considering that might only be even just for the United States. So multiply that by the Christian church throughout the world. Just take some time to soak that in, reflect on that. So let's consider how phenomenal would be, would the global impact be? So firstly, they suggest $25 billion would relieve global hunger, would prevent starvation and deaths from preventable diseases, and it would do that within five years across the world. $12 billion could eliminate illiteracy in the next five years. $15 billion would solve the world's sanitation and water issues, and specifically where people live on less than $1 a day. $1 billion would fully aid any overseas mission work, although there's a fair amount of mission work already happening (laughs) in the above items. And then that would leave and release up to $110 billion for any further ministry expansion. That's some confronting kind of figures. It's humbling in lots of ways, and yet it also excites me as I think about the possibilities and what God is actually wanting to release through his church that he is continuing to build what God wants to release through his church that he is continuing to build. Now, I'm mindful that there's a lot of variables in this, and it's easy to say, and it's easy to have the figures. But what if we were actually willing to surrender and submit and honour God with our first fruits? What could we release as the body of Christ if we, again, committed to faithfully bringing into the storehouse a reflection of saying to God, 
I honour you first. Because the first that we bring releases the rest. And that's what we're going to talk about over the next couple of weeks. We bring the first fruits and the rest is released to our discretion. To remember that our relationship with God is a blessing, a protection and favour to his people that brings a blessing to the rest of the world. And man, don't we need to see the church bringing blessing into the rest of the world today. Imagine what the local church could do for the community in all its expressions because we say yes to God first. See, tithing, friends, is the first element of a much bigger picture. Remember again the wisdom of Solomon in the Proverbs. He says, Honour the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. And then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats or storage containers, I guess is the best way to put that, will brim over with new wine. And I'm not talking storage containers being your Tupperware containers in your cupboard. They are big, huge storage containers. But God promises when we honour him, he brings so much a greater blessing. Paul writes to the church, the Corinthian church, whoever wrote, sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. See, this is not about being thoughtless or reckless. This is not even about giving it all away just so we can you know, puff out our chest and say, oh, I was giving everything to God. No, 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 no. Let's think about this. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. So this is the promise. And one we probably haven't really taken seriously or fully explored, if we were to be honest with ourselves. What does it look like? See, I still believe that God is about building his church. And his greatest desire is that we partner with him. When we come into a relationship with God, we are made holy in him and through him because of what Jesus has done. And we're invited to partner with him as a family, as a body that works to see his kingdom come here on earth. Now, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, as I made the invitation earlier, I want to encourage you, put this to the test. Put the first fruits aside. Put it aside in another bucket for a few months. If you want to imagine the church or look forward to a church you pick another church that you want to give it to if you're part of a local church give it to their local church give it to them if you're connected into a community but if you're not sure if you never heard this before and you want to test it out then put it in another bucket that you won't touch and that you will designate it to God and ask God for his favor for his blessing for his wisdom that you will choose to trust him with your finances I understand too that there's numerous family dynamics in this. This is not very easy according to your marriage and the significance and the challenges of how different um, people view their finances in their marriages, in their homes. Can I encourage you to approach this graciously, prayerfully, deliberately and quietly? You might not be able to uh, designate a tithe or set aside a tithe out of your whole budget because of the relationship that your partner has or because of how they view the church or because how they view the finance. I'd really encourage you, what can you tithe? What can you begin to really trust God with? And consider this. 
If this hasn't been common practice, I'd encourage you to be patient, to be prayerful, to adjust deliberately and prayerfully. And if you've been a follower of Jesus for any length of time, maybe this is a great opportunity to revisit. Have you received an increase in your salary? What does that look like to honour God with the first fruits of all that we've brought in? I know this is a difficult topic. It's an uncomfortable and quite frankly, I'm a little bit nervous. But here's what I believe. There is no greater time than right now, while the world is in crisis, for the people of God to return to him faithfully and wholeheartedly to set themselves apart as holy and to bring a blessing to our world. What does that look like? Again, this isn't about responding out of obligation or guilt or fear. This is an invitation primarily to be in relationship. God's desire is to be in relationship with you as he is revealed through Jesus Christ. We can declare him as our Lord and Saviour. We trust When we trust him in everything, with everything, whether we have a little or whether we have a lot, it will transform you, it will transform me when we trust him with everything and in everything. And as it transforms me, uh, my life begins to have an effect and a bearing on others. It brings blessing to others and it will transform the lives of our community, not just for this moment, not just as we navigate our way through the pandemic, but it will transform others for generations to come. Maybe you've been watching and you haven't yet made that declaration of faith. We want to invite you today to say, you know what, God, I've messed up. I've stepped outside. I believe you've got greater things for me. I've tried life on my own. I've tried finances on my own and it's not working. I've made a mess of it. Or maybe you're really successful, but you're not happy. You're not content. Could today be the day where you say, God, I choose to trust you. I confess that my life is not a reflection of your heart or desire to be in relationship with me. I want to confess and know Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour. Perhaps you're on here for the first time today and you're looking for some hope and some purpose and meaning. Again, it's an opportunity for you to remind, uh, to say, God, I want to follow you with everything that I am and everything that I have. And maybe you've clicked online and you've been a part of the church for a long time, but really it's about a religious um, statement it's about ticking off some boxes maybe it's been about doing what other people have done but maybe today it's the day for you to say I declare my faith in Jesus as my Lord and my Saviour the one who saves and restores me into a relationship with God and I want to discover his love in all its fullness and richness we want to invite you to simply pray a prayer of confession of turning our lives back to him and seeking to follow him in all of our lives, in all that we have. Father, we thank you for who you are. We want to thank you for the way in which you've remained faithful, which you've wanted to constantly pour out your blessings and your heart to your people. To people who don't even know you, you keep calling out. You keep wanting to draw us in. For people who have been angry at you, for people who have been disappointed, for people who have wandered away and come back, you keep calling out, Father. For people who have made excuses, you keep calling out. And Father, right now, in this time and this space, we surrender to you. We declare again, Jesus Christ is our Lord and Saviour. May you make yourself known and very real to all who watch, who view, who to connect. May you 
Um, move amongst us. May your spirit speak in our hearts and minds. May we know your peace. May we know the hope. May we know the joy of what it is to trust you with everything, including our finances, to return to you. To return to you. May we encounter you in powerful ways. May we continue to walk in the ways of Jesus as we learn what it means to be in relationship with you. In your name, amen.